Well, again, we are really, really honored uh, that you've joined us online. Again, huge shout out to our tech ninjas and our van for pulling this together really, really last minute. And uh, we want to continue making the experience better and better. So thank you for feedback as we're journeying through this and figuring it out kind of on the fly. Um, it's funny because I think about um, I think about Sundays have really changed in a lot of different ways. It's changed in terms of how we gather. It's changed in terms of even what it looks like and where it is. But here's what hasn't changed for me. Sundays, whether I'm sitting on my couch or joining on a camera or being outside last weekend in person, Sundays for me have still been a place of encouragement and hope, of joy, of challenge, of conviction. But there's a sense in me, especially today, that Sundays don't always reflect like I want them to in my Monday. Now, uh, I've been thinking a lot about Monday, specifically this morning, because Lindsay and I are closet Carpenters fans, and as soon as the rain started falling, I started singing, Rainy days and Mondays always get me down. Now, I know I'm not caring, but close, okay? I was close. Um, but it's funny to me because <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about Mondays, and even in this cultural moment that we find ourselves in, my Mondays have a tendency to become spiritually untouchable. Track with me here for a moment. You can leave an incredible worship service and still have a terrible Monday that feels like, where is God? What is he doing? Why am I still at this job? Why am I still fighting with my wife? Why am I still angry at my kids? And there seems to be, for most of us, a disconnect between Sunday and the Monday. My Monday, personally, can, can drift that way if I'm not careful. Now, maybe you don't believe me. Have you ever fought in the car on the way home from church? Okay, most of you just answered yes, and that would be my answer too. Why is that possible? How does that happen? Because for me, I think about just the internal tension and dissonance I face in wanting God to be a part of my Monday, but not really sure how to do it or, or how he wants to do it. And so I end up having this disconnection between Sunday and Monday. I want to ask the question, what do I do? What do we do with that? Last weekend, we talked about the fact that God wants us as a church to be spirit-led people. As a culture, as an environment, we, we aim to be people who are led by God's Holy Spirit, by his very real presence in our lives. I want you to take, take a journey with me to the book of Acts in chapter 16. Actually, we find a group of people who are literally spirit-led. I'm not even kidding. If you turn to the book of Acts, chapter 16, if you have a Bible or you've got a device in your hand like I do, I want you to pull up Acts 16. As you take a quick scan through that chapter, you immediately find out that literally the Holy Spirit was leading Paul and Silas, these two disciples who had their lives completely changed by Jesus. He ends up leading them like a GPS. Literally, if you read Acts 16, you see in the very beginning, uh, basically it says the Spirit told them not to go to this place. And then it says, don't go to that place. And then eventually it tells them where to go. And they end up in this Roman colony called Lystra. Now, Lystra is an interesting place because there are multiple reasons Lystra was an important city. Number one, like I said, it was a military staging post. The Roman Empire would gather troops there as they were prepared to conquer other places. Uh, Lystra was kind of a central hub for a bunch of other major cities in the area. Uh, in modern day, Lystra is found in central Turkey, which, again, modern day and even tracing back to the Roman Empire, this isn't exactly the Bible Belt. 
All right, this is not Byron Center, which is a church for every person uh, that lives here, okay? Like, this is a very different scenario, but here's what I think about when I start to read Acts 16. I keep expecting, like, a Pentecost-sized revival to happen. Do you? Like, I'm reading that, and I'm like, okay, I know they're in kind of enemy territory, but couldn't God do something with thousands of people and healings and different languages and God's Spirit falling on the church in a new way? Couldn't that still be possible? Well, let's read what happens as Paul and Silas begin to preach that very same message. Uh, in verse 22, this is how they respond. The people of Lystra joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Now, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown in prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. This is not how I was thinking this chapter was going to go. I don't know about you. But if Paul and Silas are faithful to proclaim the gospel message, what they find is that it's not always received very well. In fact, as they try to preach a gospel that doesn't just keep people safe and comfortable on a Sunday, but actually causes them to live on the offense for the kingdom of God on their Monday, people don't like that message. And, and the town of Lystra ends up revolting and attacking them, stripping them naked in humiliation, beating them, and then kicking them into prison, putting them in this cold, dark, concrete room. This is how the people respond. Let me ask you a really bold question. I want you to think about this. If you're with your family, ask this question. How would you respond to this? If you're Paul and Silas in this moment, what is your next step? How do you respond to this attack that happens in Lystra? Well, I want you to take you right to the next couple of verses and we find out. We literally see and Luke, the historian, kind of documents for us how they respond. Read with me in verse 25. It says that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword. It was about to kill himself. I want to pause, because this becomes a really, really bizarre story. Okay, number one, Paul and Silas are in prison. An earthquake happens. Maybe you've been around earthquakes or familiar with earthquakes. There's no earthquake I've ever heard of that's literally blown prison doors open and taken shackles off people. This is clearly a, a miracle of, of Jesus, like something supernatural is taking place. So like you would, if you're the jailer, you wake up and you're like, what is going on? Like my full-time job is to keep prisoners in their cells and something is happening in which they are not in their cells anymore. The jailer, because of the way the Roman culture was, rather than admit this to his bosses, he decided, I am literally going to kill myself. Like it'd be better for me to commit suicide than to be found out and to find uh, what's going to happen to me as a result of these prisoners getting out. He's about to kill himself. He thinks the prisoners had all escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He doesn't know what's going on. Clearly something supernatural. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
what must I do to have that transforming power that clearly is at work in this prison cell? What must I do to be rescued from, from my life of death and despair and uncertainty and to find God in it? So like you and I probably would, Paul and Silas are like, we got to get this guy to church. Like get him to the temple and let him kind of hear the gospel and respond. But actually that's not what they do. Your Bible doesn't say that. My Bible doesn't say that. It says that they replied, believe. Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You will be rescued. You will be transformed. You and your household. This good news is not just for you. It's not for your individual salvation. It's for your family. It's for your neighbors. It's for your boss. It's for your co-workers. It's for the people you rub shoulders with every week. It's an opportunity for them as well. So then they speak the word of the Lord to him. They share the good news of Jesus and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. I'm going to pause and think about that. We would just read that and kind of think that's normal. Remember who the chief jailer was and what he was paid to do. He was paid to keep prisoners chained, tortured, opposition, and any rebellion squashed in the middle of these prison cells. In fact, Roman uh, chief jailers often receive bonus pay for being extra harsh to prisoners. And yet, it's the power of the gospel that changes his ordinary way of thinking and doing life and his Monday, and he ends up washing their wounds. He goes on to uh, allow all of his household to be baptized. Like, they go for it. They're fully transformed. The jailer brought them into his house, and he sets a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. Transformation. Not safety on a Sunday, but God is doing something new in the ordinary spaces of this jailer's life. See, again, the, the chief jailers were promoted. They're given bonus pay for being extra hard on prisoners, and yet it's in the way that Paul and Silas respond to this torture that actually draws him into the gospel story. Here's why I think that's important. Because God didn't want to just change the jailer's life and make Sundays a different routine for him. God didn't save this jailer and get his whole household uh, baptized in order for them to just show up at the temple on Sunday morning. Actually, God was interested in something much, much bigger. Not just going back to some kind of Jewish normal for this jailer, but going back stronger, coming back a different person. The goal, really, I don't think of the story, is just to deliver Paul and Silas from prison and get them safe again. I think he was doing something much, much greater. In a Roman household, especially in a town like Lycia, where there's multiple Greek gods and temples and Zeus was worshipped, that same household is the one that now calls Jesus Lord, not Caesar. That same household in which their income was based around how good their dad did to torture prisoners, that's gone. I think God was after something different. The fact that this chief jailer brings fugitive Paul and Silas into his home, not just protecting them, but also feeds them and, and allows them to, to preach the gospel to them. These are dangerous moves. These are not safe moves. This is why I think it's so important that we still worship even if we have to gather online. It's why it's not a waste that you're on the other side of this camera. It's why it's not a waste for you to gather with your family because what happens to the jailer is his entire family gets saved, gets transformed, and it may look different than we thought. It's why we didn't wait. It's why we didn't 
close church and say, okay, we're just going to wait till we can physically gather and everything can go back to normal because normal's gone now. But here's what I think is important. God doesn't just want to make us as a church, as individuals, as families safe on Sundays. He wants to make us dangerous on Mondays. Too long, the church has been tempted to live in a defensive mode against the culture, against other people, against the local government. I mean, you name it. It's easy to play defense, but what God is doing in this story in Acts 16, what I sense he's doing in our church specifically, is allowing us to go back to playing offense, to being dangerous for the kingdom of God for not settling for the ordinary things. See, what happens on Sunday is is a lot of important things. Like the reason we kind of scrambled and put together this morning and figured out live stream for this weekend is so that we could still get hope that the Sunday morning gathering brings. So that we can get the perspective and the purpose, the encouragement, some of the conviction and challenge that we need in the midst of these rapidly changing times. But here's what your Monday probably looks like. Breakfast with the kids scrambling to get to work on time, being annoyed that again at your workplace you have to have another difficult conversation with that person. Maybe you're a boss and you're trying to figure out how do I navigate employees and insurance and benefits and pay in this season where things are uh, all over the place. Maybe it's you interacting with a lost friend or family member in your backyard tomorrow. I I remember the first time that God kind of broke into my Mondays. In fact, I'll take you back. Uh, about four, four to five years ago, right towards the beginning of my uh, kind of life in vocational ministry, I was a worship pastor. And I led worship every weekend and 52 times a year. That was what was my focus was. I was concentrated on making Sundays happen, making sure Sundays went well and everyone was safe and everything uh, pulled off without any big technical issues or, or musical issues. And that was my goal. So Sunday happened, and I remember this particular Monday morning, I woke up, went to the office, started doing emails and just kind of administrative, really boring, churchy things. And then I had to go grab lunch and got gas while I was out there. While I'm at the Speedway, this guy walks up to me, and I didn't totally recognize him, but I quickly found out, oh, this guy goes to our church. He walks up to me and said, Pastor, I've got all these things going on. Basically, he's telling me that he had heart surgery coming up. And Paul was his name. Paul begins to just share the things that are really heavy on his heart. And he starts to get tears in his eyes. And he asks this really simple question. I've been asked a thousand times. Will you pray for me? Immediately, I did not get the hint because I'm so socially intelligent. I said, yeah, Paul, I'll pray for you. <laughs> and he kind of just kept standing there like, will you pray for me? And I was like, oh, you want me to pray for you right now? Paul, I'm in the middle of getting unleaded right now, and it's super cheap. Like, I, I, I'm not focused on your heart surgery or your needs, which sounds really, really bad to say as a pastor, but I just, it was Monday. I was not thinking. If that happened on Sunday, I would probably take him to the altar and anoint him with oil and pray over him, like do all the pastoral things. But it was on a Monday, and it jarred me. It was weird. Like, I wasn't sure how to respond. Eventually, he stood there long enough and awkwardly enough to where I said, yeah, I guess I'll pray for you right now. Like put my hand on him while I've got one hand on the pump, kind of praying for Paul while pumping gas. I finished the prayer and he walks back to his car. I drove back to the church office, which is like a mile away from the speedway. 
And I thought about that. And I still think about that. And I think many of us live in that way. We leave the church parking lot or we leave the school parking lot or we leave this online experience and just go back to ordinary life. But friends, hear me. Hear the words of Luke in the, in the book of Acts. God doesn't want to just make you safe on Sunday. He wants to make you dangerous on Monday. There's so much more to live. See, here's what I know. Some, some of you watching this, you were here when this church was planted. When this church was planted, it wasn't a safe decision. There was discomfort involved. I don't know about you, but for me, waking up really, really early in the middle of January to go stack chairs and, and set them up does not sound like a relaxing Sunday. It just doesn't to me. I can think of a lot of other things I'd rather do. Some of you left certainty. Some of you left financial security. Some of you left just the opportunity to show up to a nice, put-together, composed Sunday morning service in a building that you own and not have to worry about anything. Some of you gave that up. Planting this church 14, nearly 15 years ago was not a safe decision. The reason you and I are still here is because a group of people made an unsafe decision, something that made them dangerous for the kingdom of God, that they were not content with the way a church was done or, or the opportunities that were here for their lost friends and family in this community, and they said, we're going to do something. And thus the church was born. God doesn't want to just make us safe. On Sunday, he wants to make you and I dangerous on Monday. I love how author and pastor Jeff Vanderstelt says this. He, he writes, live in such a way that it would demand a Jesus explanation. Let me say that one more time. Live in such a way that it would demand a Jesus explanation. In other words, you wouldn't be able to explain what you do or why you do it without needing to talk about Jesus. That's being dangerous on a Monday. See, when we live dangerous on a Monday instead of just pursuing safety, ultimately, we live a life worth asking about. We live a life that breeds kind of curiosity from our neighbor, from our deskmate, from our boss, from our parent, from our professor that begins to open the doorway for us to talk about the most important thing in our life, and that's our relationship with Jesus. When we live dangerous, we live a life worth asking about on Monday. We don't go to soccer games the same way people do. We don't spend money the same way people do. We don't, because here's what's honestly true, and you already know this, if you are on the other side of this camera, there's a really good chance that you live in this area, and there's an even greater chance that that going to church on Sunday in our community, it's not that weird. A lot of people do it. A lot of people have church options. But here's what's unique, and here's the kind of church we're going to be. We're going to live dangerous on a Monday, and that is different. The way we interact in conflict at our workplace is going to be different. The way that we think about spending money, some of you have sacrificed vacations in order to, to give and support the work of this ministry. That's different. The way you raise your kids, that's different. Some of you have fostered and are in the process maybe of adoption, that's different. Those are dangerous moves. And much like the jailer, the gospel's not just reserved for your, you and I's private salvation. It was meant for our community, community to experience. When we live dangerous on Monday, we give other people that chance. We allow them to experience that. If Paul and Silas were just content with being safe, and praising God for getting them out of prison. They just left. They're like, I'm not going to a jailer's house, especially the one who put me in prison. We wouldn't have this story. And maybe the gospel wouldn't have spread in the same way that it does 
throughout the Roman Empire without them. Here's what I'm inviting you to do. Make Jesus the why behind your Monday. The why. Sundays are so important. Sundays are vital. It's why, again, we kind of figured it out how to put this together because Sundays are really, really important. Let's be frank. My livelihood kind of depends on Sunday happening. Like, if I care about it, I should probably care about it more than anybody else. Like, Sundays are really, really important, but here's what I know. If we only live for Sunday and don't become dangerous people for the kingdom of God on Monday, we are missing the point of the gospel. We've missed it. I've missed it. And so make Jesus the why behind your home. Here's what I know. The world is full of shy and private Christians. We are not going to be those kind of Christians. We are not going to be that kind of church. We are going to choose to live dangerous on Monday. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we really do just come before you surrender. We come before you open. We come before you humble. And ultimately, we come before you because you have changed our lives. Because you've rescued us. You've transformed us. And think about this story and I think about the potential for so many of our families and our households who don't have the same opportunities of the gospel that maybe we have. I pray that we would live dangerous on Monday for them. That for our lost family and friends who are in our sphere of influence, God, that you give us boldness and courage to step out and live dangerous for you on Monday. Not just to be content with normal or ritual or tradition on Sunday, but to move beyond and to allow all of us to experience what it really means to see zero lives unchanged for Jesus Christ. So that is our prayer. Would you meet us in that place? We need you. Without your Holy Spirit, we just we cannot accomplish the mission you've given us. And so we pray that you'd help us to depend on you in a new way this morning. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Let's sing together. Thank you.